Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bonds, and I'm very lucky today to join by um, Dax Craig, who is co-founder and president of Pi Insurance. Uh, Dax, well, good morning where I am, um, just about uh, by the time we release this, but um, uh, nice, to have you on the, nice to have you on the show. How are you doing? It's great to, uh, great to be here. I, uh, I appreciate the invitation. No, not at all. Thank you. Um, so, uh, Dax, before we dive in, where, where are we speaking to you from? And uh, there's been some pretty uncomfortable weather in the estates at the moment. Are you are you part of that, or are you safe and well? Hopefully? A little bit. I'm uh, I'm in Denver, Colorado. Um, I left my house this morning. It was minus six degrees uh, Fahrenheit. Uh, pretty chilly. Uh, yeah. A little snow on the ground, but I'm a skier, so I love it. Yeah, no, as you say, good opportunity to get out there. I've seen people, I've seen more people enjoying it than than the negative side at the moment. Um, although obviously that's uh you know, hope everyone's safe and well uh, with that happening. Um we could get very nerdy about weather when we talk about insurance. So I'm sure we could get to <laughs> <Right>. that. But <laughs> and what that means. Uh probably probably look at it a different way when you run an insurance company as well, that's for sure. So um yeah. <laughs> uh, but tax before... a different way too, right? Everything is a little different. Yeah, that risk management piece. Um, in fact, we just got we've got some new members of the team over at FinPro, and um, you know, first you've got to start, and you might run a recruitment company and and tell people why it's why someone actually asked me why is insurance interesting yesterday, um, and I thought I'm the wrong man to ask because I find <laughs> it incredibly interesting, and this might take a long time, um, but that kind of anything that's risky, you look at that. There's insurance for that, and, and take it from that was my simple right. answer. Um, but be- before we dive in and get too carried away with our um, insurance nerd uh, nerdathon, um, be great if you could introduce yourself. I'm sure lots of people know who you are with the Pi business, but if you could introduce yourself and, and Pi Insurance, that would be fantastic. Uh, absolutely. Uh, well, Dax Craig, uh, as Alex said, uh, I am co-founder and president of uh, Pi Insurance. Founded the business with uh, with John Swagger. Uh, who was formerly at uh, eSurance and and helped build that company uh, to its ultimate uh, exit to Allstate. Um, My background is tech. Uh, This is uh, my third startup. My first one was in in the wireless business, um, sort of at the dawn of uh, the the wireless revolution in the mid-90s. Sold that business and started uh, a data science machine learning company called Valen Analytics. Uh, and that's where I got introduced to the insurance industry. We helped uh, insurance companies build better pricing and underwriting models. Uh, and, and it was from that uh, experience that uh, I saw an opportunity to, to help small businesses. Um, we could see in the data that uh, small businesses were, were underserved and overcharged. Uh, and I hooked up with John and, and we thought we could do a better job uh, of serving the small business community. So we started Pi to do just that, uh, work with small businesses, uh, provide a, a much better, easier experience for them. That's where our name comes from, Easy as Pi, uh, and make everything easy for the small business owner and, and the partners that, uh, that service them. Uh, we saw that that small businesses were were almost systematically ignored. Not because people wanted to ignore small businesses. Of course they don't. It's a, it's a gigantic market uh, in the U.S. and around the world. It's hard for them because the businesses are so small. 
it's hard for them to understand what the business does. It's hard for them to uh, price them uh, accurately. Uh, they just don't have the tools and the technology. And so we thought we could do it better uh, and, and built the business uh, from the ground up to focus on, you know, that small business owner. Sure. Thank you for that. That's, that's, that's really good overview. I, I, I think it's fascinating. I mean, I'm obviously always listening to small business insurance propositions with with a hugely vested interest, right? You know, I run a six person recruitment business, and um, I've just actually renewed my insurance. And I had that classic conversation. I was phoning my insurer, and I won't name them because they've been pretty good to me, to be fair. Um, mainly because they've been cheap. Um, and I <laughs> and I I think that's the thing. I'm a small business owner. I know probably more about insurance than most, but I'm still really coming at it from an uneducated buyer. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm also being more like a personal lines uh, buyer because I'm still approaching it probably from a price perspective. That's probably still my kind of primary objective. But then I actually got into the classic question. I've moaned about it a lot on this podcast, so it's kind of boring for people that's listened in, but (laughs) professional indemnity cover. Now, professional indemnity in recruitment is not it's a bit of a difficult thing to pin on the recruitment consultant, but there are certain elements where we, we could be done for it. So mm-hmm. my question was, well, what's a typical claim for a business of my size in this sector? And they were like, we can't tell you. And I was like, well, why not? And it, they were like, we don't have access, access to this data. And I said, right. if, if there's anything about why I'm in business is this, because, you know, it's like, why don't you have access to that data? And I thought, you should have. And I, I felt that from just, I was talking to this person, I'm not, not going to give you a hard, hard time because if you had it, you'd give it to me, but you didn't. So even there, you can see that it's not perfect. Is it, I want to lead this onto a question um, and not just be my personal tirade about insurance. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we can both have that. Yeah, yeah, we could do that forever. But is it just the tech that was missing and, and, and the ability to access data? Or is it? Is there something else you think about insurance which either doesn't care or is uninterested in, in small business insurance? Well, it, it, it's not just the data. It's it's really the entire ecosystem mm-hmm. from the data, the analytics, the technology that delivers uh, the insurance to either an agent or an insured. Uh, it's old. That technology is just old. Um, even the best of the best uh, used technology that was developed in the early 2000s, right? Technology has just changed so much. Uh, And it's not their fault. These systems are very hard to implement. They're very expensive. So they don't want to rip them in and out. And so we started from the ground up with super modern technology to be able to to change it quickly. We use microservices, uh, all API driven. It's all built by us. it changes the game. We can move so much faster. And what that means to our customers is that they just get a better service and easier. It, it, it looks more like a, a you know a personal lines carrier than uh, a traditional commercial lines carrier. Our culture is different, right? Yeah. We, we yeah. work backwards from the customer. Everything we do is about how do we serve the small business customer better? And that's just different. You know, it's funny because our, our first customer, I mean, this is this, it was perfect for us. And he's still a customer today. A small uh, cement company uh, in Georgia, his insurance company was canceling him because his premium was too small. 
It was under $10,000. And so he did a web search, found us on the web, uh, called us, and uh, we were able to insure him uh, that day, uh, saved him about 25% over what he was paying. Uh, and he's still a customer today. It was just super easy for him. And it, it's it's indicative of, of what I saw a lot at Valen, where insurance companies wouldn't insure somebody so small. And I don't blame them because they couldn't afford to. It was too costly because the manual processes at their company caused it to, to be unprofitable for them to serve these small businesses. I mean, we, we have customers that are that have $200 premium. And we do that profitably because we do it with technology. It's not just about the data. Sure. There's a couple of things, Dax, that, that I thought were interesting. One, you said he called you. Um, and I thought there's there's something in that. You know, if you go back to the customer, um, yeah, I want to do stuff online. I love doing stuff online. I want to do it. I've got plenty of mechanisms where I have no interest in talking to any of the businesses I deal with. Um, but I also want to be able to call you. Um, so you, what, I've, what I've kind of liked about the journey and just outside looking in is that, would you describe, is, is, is insure tech the wrong term? Are you a tech enabled insurance company? Is that is that a better kind of definition, would you say? Well, insure tech is just jargon, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. uh, that makes it sound cool. Um, <laughs> We're an insurance company, right? Yeah. Full stop. Um, we we pay very much attention to underwriting and our underwriting results uh, and claims and how we handle claims. I mean, we, we're an insurance company. We have we care about our balance sheet. We just got an A and best A minus rating. But we think like a tech company, yeah. and 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 that's really important. Um, because if it, and I worked with some of the biggest and best insurance companies in the world uh, at Valen, and it was always about them. It's, it's just, they think about themselves. Well, our agents need to give us business and they need to give us better business. And that insured, you know, they, they don't tell us what they need to tell. There's just, it's just all about them. And, and we shifted that paradigm to, you no, know, it's all about the customer. And, and when you start with the customer first and build your tech to satisfy the customer, everything's better. And so, yeah, we do blend insurance and tech. Um, we are an insurance company, we, we, but we think and act like a tech company. Sure. I think that, that cultural piece of thinking like a tech company is, is, is super important. And I think what that's, we talk about culture a lot in, in, in my business and and some of the groups I'm part of, um, there's a great group in, in London called Making Change in Insurance. And a lot of it's looking at DE&I, generally mm -hmm. just looking at culture and, and cultures of innovation. And that's a really difficult thing to get right. Um, you've obviously been on this huge journey and it's been very successful. Um, and I want to talk about fundraising a bit and, and goals. But sure. one of the things that's quite obvious is that you go through the scale of growth that you have how do you keep that culture when you scale? You know, it's, it's easy to think like a tech company and be nimble when you're small. Mm -hmm. How do you do that at scale? 
You know, it's it's a great question. Um, and, and one we struggle with, right? We we don't have all the answers, uh, but we admit it, right? We admit we don't have all the answers. We're incredibly transparent. Uh, we have a, John and I have a, a weekly all hands. Uh, and we answer any question that people ask, no matter how uncomfortable. Um, and that, that inures to the benefit of our clients. Think about it. I mean, we don't lie to our clients, right? We tell them, the, the hard news, uh, you know, maybe their premium is going up because, you know, they're riskier than they were a year ago, things like that. Um, and that, and that gets infused in the culture, you know, everybody when a startup, you know, especially when you're, you're venture backed, you talk about product market fit, um, insurance that's pretty easy because people buy insurance today. We're not creating the market, uh, talk about great strategy, um, you know, what customers you're going to serve and why, uh, and large um, addressable markets, right? Your your TAM needs to be big. Like small business is huge. It's, you know, it's hundreds of billions of dollars in the U.S. alone. Uh, and those are, those, are, those are essential ingredients for a startup. But, you know, as Mark Andreessen said, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And, and if you have a great culture, you can win. You can overcome any obstacle, anything that that is challenging. For us, it started with our values. It literally was the first thing we did as a company. Okay, what are the values we're going to live by? And they're still our values. We live by them. We review our employees on them. We talk about them every uh, all-hands meeting. Um, it's because they're not just on the wall, right? We actually live them. Uh, we hire and fire uh, by them, and that helps. Um, but at the end of the day, all John and I did was, you know, kind of point us in the right direction. Um, it's all about hiring the right people and letting them build the culture, right? Just giving them the tools to build the culture. Pi is, is, is literally the company I always dreamed about creating. Um, and it's because the employees just took hold of the culture we have. Uh, even now, right, with, with a remote kind of work, um, we have collaboration days once a month. And anybody, anywhere can fly to one of our offices for a collaboration day and just be with us. Whether you're a customer service rep, you know, or you're a vice president, um, we have these things called culture ambassadors and it was self-formed groups that do, they, they don't just organize parties, right? We have mentoring, we have leadership summits. And it's all done kind of off the side of their desk. These are things that people just engage on. And I don't know what the exact number is, but it's, it's like 15, 20% of our employees are engaged in, in the, uh, the culture ambassador program. I mean, it's just super cool uh, what they do every week. I'm like, wow, I can't believe that I run this company. Mm. Um, so will will we keep it going? I think so, right? We're we're trying to build something that's enduring here for decades. We're not we're not trying to build something we sell uh, quickly. That's just not who we are. And we we spend a lot of time hiring the right people. Yeah. Uh, we, we focus on talent density. We take our time. 
Uh, we hire very, very slowly, painfully slowly. Um, <laughs> so we get the right person, right? We want the right person that's going to enhance our culture. Uh, we spend a lot of time uh, on diversity um, in hiring, trying to make sure uh, that we don't sit a panel of people that are interviewing until we have a diverse candidate slate. Uh, and it shows up in our in our employee engagement surveys. Um, people people love it, right? And it's it's how do we keep it going? Just keep doing what we're doing and look for new ways to improve. Yeah, I think I you know obviously being in the industry that I'm in in the recruitment industry, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And and particularly working, you know, we work with insurtechs only. We work with startups and scale ups. That's what we do. Um, and the amount of times we've had this, and this is quite, I, I think, an interesting question, is that when you focus on culture and getting the right people and culture eat strategy for breakfast, I kind of feel like that around people. And that's not a lazy get-out-of-jail clause of me going, as your headhunter going, I can't find the right person, but I think this piece, this person can do the job. But there is sometimes that thing of going, they're just the right person. And actually, yeah, there's a gap. There might be a gap in that skill set, but do you want to hire the right person that fits the culture or, or not even fits the culture? Because I always think that's, you've got to be careful with that. Adds to the culture, brings yeah, something. We, we say enhance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there was someone great on the podcast and, I, and I'm, it's really sad. I can't remember who, but they said cultural ad, not cultural fit. And I just thought it was such a good way of putting it in the, I, I don't, you know, we don't want the superstar that, that it's all about them. And yeah, they might be able to do the job superbly. Right. We want the person that's going to add to our team and is actually going to take us forward because that cultural piece is like you say, that's what allows the train to run on without you in the future. You know, either you've exited and you can sit there and be proud of the culture you've built because then it, it's self-fulfilling. Um, you know, particularly when you've got stories of people building and strangely referring to this uh, cultural um, sort of think group that I'm part of in, in making change in insurance is one of the things we talked about is that you can see a healthy culture when you start to see these cultural committees and kind of, you know, groups about representation. And, um, you know, I think those things are kind of, they're just, particularly if they're organically grown, that's that's a fascinating kind of space to be in. Um, do you think you would have been able to do that um, if you hadn't had previous startup experience and you'd built and sold companies? Because, you know, maybe you didn't, but I'm presuming that, there was a lot of mistakes made along the way. And that's kind of, that's why you're at the business that you have always dreamed of running now, because you've probably made one or two mistakes in the past. Yeah. Um, yes, I, I have made many, many mistakes. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you a quick story about culture mistake. So my first company had this amazing culture. Um we were small, about 50 people, sold the business uh, to a to a much much larger company. And I saw firsthand what you know what a bad culture was. Um and I, I left that company, started Valen, thinking I knew how to build a good culture. Well, I didn't. I just got lucky uh, at my prior company. And I hired for expertise. I hired people that were experts in their area and um, did not hire for cultural, you know, uh, to enhance our culture. That paid for it, it almost killed the company. Uh, we almost went out of business. Um, and I think it was because we had a, a bad 
culture. It was, it was toxic in many ways. And it took me two years to unwind it really? uh, and, and being very thoughtful. So I read every book I could get on hiring, how you hire, how you interview. Uh, and, and so I, I was able to bring that to, to Pi. So from the very beginning, we've had a uh, sort of a regimented um, hiring process. Uh, very thorough. It's, you know, some people don't like it because it takes so long. Um, but we hire the right people. We're not perfect by any means. Uh, so yeah, the mistakes I've made at, at Valen um, and, and my prior company, Zertex, really helped uh, form. But we made our own mistakes, right? You always make mistakes. Um, there's things that I look back on and wish we hadn't have done. Um, you know, one of them at, at Pi, we uh, we focus so much on growth, um, and we were really trying to grow as fast as we could, um, and that was kind of our starting point. Well, we grew faster than we thought we could even what was even possible, yeah. uh, and that and that created all kinds of challenges because we had you know a lot of manual work that we were like, oh, we'll get to that. We'll have time to get to it. We knew we needed to get to it, but because we grew so fast, we we needed to get to it faster than than we thought. And so we we played catch up for about five years uh, right. on the tech side uh, to automate more and more of uh, the processes. Um, and that was a that was a big mistake. We should have focused more on the the underlying tech first. Um, but we didn't know what we didn't know. Right. We weren't sure that the whole thing would work uh, and it worked better than we thought. So uh, that was a that was a key learning um, from the beginning of Pi. Yeah, that's, that sounds like one of my questions, actually. I, th I thought um, and thank you for that. because I think it's really easy outside looking in. You know, it's been a hugely successful you know, growth curve. There's been, you know, I think you raised a Series D in 2022. It was it was mm -hmm. one of the. I think it was in September. It was like the top ten in sure tech deals of 2022, um, and and consistently have been in those kind of announcements all the time. And I think um, I've talked to my colleague Sophie before we did the thing and uh, the, did the recording. It talks about the term unicorn, and and I was thinking about how unhelpful the term unicorn is because you know unicorns are they're mythical creatures that don't exist. And we said, who wants to be a mythical right. creatures that don't exist, right? They, right. How about we're like. Wouldn't it be better to be an elephant? I don't know. There's probably some elephant terminology for a business that I don't know, but I just, I'm just thinking <laughs> wise, majestic, we'll be one of them that, that, that actually exists, is real. You know, it's a real nuts and bolts business that's done really, really well. So I thought that was quite toxic because I think that that label's unhelpful um, because then it suggests kind of, you know, it suggests kind of myth and, and, and it suggests kind of like the things aren't real, but you're tangibly building a really good insurance company. That's what we're actually doing. Um, we're on that journey. Um, but then um, I was going to talk about just on a personal level, and I always want to bring it back to this because I don't think this gets talked about maybe enough. How does it feel going through those journeys and those rounds? Because the numbers are pretty big. They're pretty scary. On a personal level, you still get imposter syndrome once you get to Series D. Does, does it, it, you've done this several times before. You've had other companies. 
I wanted to know on a personal level how that feels because I, I asked that because I know Steven Spielberg was interviewed and he was going, this is Steven Spielberg, missed a movie. And he's like, every right. time I walk on set, first down set for like imposter syndrome. So I thought, yeah. does that apply for, for Series D funded businesses? Well, if you don't have it, you're not a good leader. <laughs> I, I mean, I just, I truly believe that. If you have all the answers, you're not a good leader. Um, you know, as the business get, gets bigger, I need to have fewer and fewer answers and ask more and more questions. Um, so the short answer is yes, I still have imposter syndrome. I still get nervous when I talk to the the, the employees uh, every week. Um, am I going to say the right thing? Uh, you know, do they believe in me? Do they believe where we're going? Um, but I think that that keeps us on our toes. Um, and I, the, the, the whole unicorn thing uh, drives me nuts. Um, it's chasing evaluation. There's a reason we don't publish our valuation because we're not chasing evaluation. We are trying to build a great company. The valuation will come. If you build a great company, the reward, the financial reward will be there in the future at some point. If it's all about the money, then it's all about the money. And we don't want it to be all about the money. It's, it's all about building a great place to work. It's about building a business that actually serves customers in the right way, um, lives its values. If we do those things, the financial reward will be there. What we're valued at today doesn't matter. It's, it's what we're valued at in the future. Um, and so I, I really have a lot of dislike of the, the unicorn mythology. Mm, mm. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, it's all about, it has to always be about doing the right thing. And that's a really trite thing to say. But I think when you when specifically bringing that into insurance, you know, I always think it's it's interesting watching the insure tech evolution, and we don't hear this sort of language anymore. But the kind of like, oh, insurance is broken, and all of the stuff that used to used to cut happen and be said. Yep. You think, well, if it's broken, they've been doing it for three hundred years. So, um, right. you know, like <laughs> that, that something. That yeah, yeah, that's not that broken. There's still some of these businesses are pretty profitable. So, you know, I think I think that's kind of evolution. And again, it's like like we were talking at the start. Insure tech, it's just an unhelpful term. And and you know, bringing new people into the business, I'm saying, what does it mean? I said, no, we work with the innovative insurers. We like to say because we're just we like to help them on that innovation journey, that evolution right. of what they're doing, whether that be tech or things like, for example, topic of the moment in London, algorithmic driven underwriting. Great, we can help you bring that into your business, but. You know, we're not going to suggest you're broken. And we're also not going to start calling you an insure tech because you've got this, you know, great bit of, <laughs> you've got a great algo, you know, that, that's, that doesn't change right. what you right. are. Um, talking further about the rounds, and you said it was all about growth, and that's one thing that maybe you would, would look at differently again and maybe different emphasis. Was that driven by the kind of different fundraising environment? Did, did investors want different things, expect different things? And, and how much does that dictate or bleed into strategy, um, even if you try and resist it. I imagine it kind of it's quite part of the story. Yeah, it's 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 pretty hard to to not be growing. We had to um, often our investors that were not insurance savvy. Um, I would say things like, "Well, we're 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 slowing down our growth um, in California." Uh, 
and and they'd say, well, what? Why are you doing that? Grow as fast as you can. Well, we need to be balanced, right? We need a balanced portfolio across the country. We don't want to be one state heavy. Um, well, why? Well, because we have reinsurance partners and, and they want you to have a broad portfolio, right? They, they don't want you to be concentrated in one area. Uh, and that was very hard for them to get their, their hands around. So we actually had to push back on the, the non-insurance investors a lot about growth. The growth that we had, um, we, the, the core question we, we were asking ourselves when we started the, the business was, how fast can this company grow with a good loss ratio? Right, that It wasn't how fast can we grow. It was how fast can we grow at a good loss ratio? And it turns out really fast. <laughs> And we didn't think it'd be that fast. That, that was the problem. It, it, it caught us by surprise. And you never want to stop the growth engine, right? Because if you're not growing, you're dying, in my opinion. Mm. So we, we, we were a little bit, you know, hanging on to the tail of a tiger. Uh, like, well, we don't want to stop the growth because growth is good and our loss ratio is good. Let's keep going and we'll figure it out as we go. So we did have we did have that challenge with with some of the investors. Um, you know, we got compared to some other insure techs. They're like, well, they're growing super fast. Now those same investors are like, wow, I'm really glad you grew the way you did. <laughs> it's really it's really easy to invest uh, in the past, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I find I find that I find that um, the challenge I've always looked at is this: is the non-insurance investor, the you know, the smart money is always. And and if you look at the investors, much more active in in insure tech today, you know, because we had that falling off of some of the valuations, we had some of the kind of public market turmoil. I mean, for loads of tech stocks, so we can't just throw it at insure techs. And and I'm yeah. always careful to be like, it's not the it's not the insurtech's fault. You know, the valuation is not something that they put upon themselves. It's essentially a combination of the investors driving what they want and then the business trying to probably grow. Um, but we're seeing the more activity now from, I would say, more traditional insurance investors, whether it be more corporate venture and more traditional models. So less like real pure tech plays, less kind of insurance plays, which are in, 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 in markets that need such heavy advertising is, is also kind of been pulled back on a much more kind of conservative, you know, uh, TAMs, you know, smaller niche markets. You know, we've, we've talked about with so many investors. And if you look at that and you go, that looks like a very traditional insurance investment pool, you know, if niche markets, insurance capacity providers have always loved the niche market MGA. It, it, we're right. just now saying, all oh, right, you need a funky digital platform, but otherwise it's kind of the same. <laughs> right. And that's just the evolution of industry. Um, so I find that kind of interesting how that kind of inputs change. Um, I want to switch gears slightly. I, I, I did some LinkedIn stalking of, of, your, of your profile, um, as I do, because that's, that's where I spend most sure. of my time, as you can imagine, in my industry. Mm -hmm. um, I thought you posed a really interesting question, which got quite a lot of response from your, um, your, your, your peers. And you posed the question of like underwriters versus actuaries. Um, and 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 said that suggested that they were at odds over price. 
Um, and I wonder what your thoughts were on that, because it's, it's always interesting when someone poses those sorts of polls. And I was like, well, you've clearly got an opinion on that. So I wanted to pick your opinion on why are they so at odds over price? Or do you agree with that question? Well, it's funny. That was uh, that was as an outsider, right? Uh, when I was at Vow and, um, and and of course, it was meant to be provocative. Uh, and our our view at that time um, was that uh, underwriters used their gut and actuaries use science, and those two things were at odds. Yeah. Um, and and from the outside looking in, they were. Um, and now, as more of a seasoned uh, insurance executive, I see that um, they do work a lot more closely together than I than I thought. Um, the the best outcomes are when you have really forward thinking actuaries using really sophisticated tools to develop base rate pricing that is. Um, well fit to the average in the market. That to me is 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 where an actuary plays uh, an essential role. Not what the bureaus necessarily think, but but where the data shows it should be from an actuarial standpoint. And then you apply really sophisticated algorithms to further differentiate that pricing. Right? What is what is below average, what is above average, what is the market not seeing um, that we can suss out with algorithms. And then you apply human expertise. It is actually the combination of the three that is giving us the best outcome. Algorithms on their own are not good enough. They're not, they're not, sophisticated enough to understand the nuances of the market, mm -hmm. right? The market is dynamic, right? And, it, and it's, it's moving all the time uh, and it has people in it, right? You've got relationships that, that do matter. Um, and so your underwriters, they, they're really good at the, the market. Like, where do we need to be from a market standpoint? Um, actuaries like, okay, just get us the pricing that we're not going to get in trouble. Algorithms are, are how you out select your competitors and underwriters give you that market. And so I'm actually a firm believer that all three work together, uh, to make the best outcomes. Yeah. Which I is would similar to what I thought, uh, <laughs> when I was at Valen. I was going to ask you how the thesis has changed over time. You know, was there, you obviously, you, you know, you said that you grew quicker than you're expecting. Can you grow fast and keep good loss at ratio, which you, which you did. Mm -hmm. um, did. Did the thesis evolve or change in any significant way? And I know there's been bumps in the road and, and we've talked about sure. the mistakes we've made, but there's sort of this core thesis of we're going to sort of have a revolutionary new insurance business. Has, has that changed over time? So it's funny. I mean, this is kind of back to the unicorn. Um, we weren't trying to build something absolutely revolutionary. We were just trying to build something a heck of a lot better uh, for small businesses. Yeah. So and one of my investors put it really well. And like it once, once they invested, they got in the business, really understood it. 
They're like, this is the biggest opportunity hiding in plain sight I have ever seen. I said, I know. I've been trying <laughs> to tell people this for years. Um, and so the thesis was really simple. It's it's these small businesses are underserved by most of the market. And I don't mean your flower shops and, and doctor's offices. I mean, your electricians, your landscapers, you know, these businesses that are a little tougher, you know, they end up in state funds, they end up in uh, pools, you know, where, where it's not great service necessarily, generally higher prices. I was like, we can, we can change that. We can, we can use technology to, to service those businesses profitably. Um, and that's what we're doing, right? We started in work comp um, because that's where I thought the, the biggest opportunity was. It's obviously the biggest part of the market. It's, it's required in most states. Um, and underserved. And now we're moving into commercial auto, right? With our big announcement with Ford, mm-hmm. um, servicing those same, so same cust- kinds of customers, right? Plumbers and electricians have trucks mm-hmm. and vans, right? And they've been asking us for years, can you help us there too? And, you know, now we can, we can finally say yes. And we'll add other lines of business um, that, uh, that makes sense for the small business owner. I mean, at the end of the day, what we want is that when, when you are thinking about insurance, whether you're a five-person company or you know an 80-person company, the first place you go is pie. And that's whether you're an agent, you know, you're you're using a payroll company, um, or you're just an individual business owner and you're you're surfing the web. The first thing you think it's it's kind of like today. When you when you want to shop for car insurance, you either go to Geico or Progressive. First place you go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We want to create that same thing in small business. Yeah. And I think small business owners don't know where to go. I and mean, I think that's 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 always been the challenge. I, I funnily enough, I got a message this morning on LinkedIn from a a guy I know in Germany, good guy, works in the insurance industry. He said, My friends are setting up a small management consultancy in London. Where where do they get insurance? And, and the fact he was asking me, I thought was fascinating. I thought, well, it shouldn't be that it shouldn't be that opaque. We shouldn't. There should be an obvious solution, and there, there basically isn't. Um, I just want to take you back, actually, um, which I should I should have asked this question before that that one, but it just popped into my head. We were talking about the kind of magic uh, between actuaries and algorithms and and underwriters. Mm-hmm. I'm always thinking about enjoyment of role. And I'm already starting to get some sort of negative feedback from underwriting community that joined, let's say, digital MGAs where very algorithmically driven mm-hmm. and their role is very different. It's it's one more of kind of checking policies that don't quite fit and go through the algorithm. Do you see a future where you clearly respect the underwriting profession, but is there a worry about the job becomes less involved, less less kind of engaging? particularly at that kind of smaller end. And then we push only really the underwriting skills into sort of large commercial where it's a bit more hands-on. Because I always think about that as like long-term, are people going to want those roles? Um, Is that something you've thought about at all? Yeah, um, I think about a lot actually, um, because we we hire underwriters. We want, you know, phenomenal underwriters. Um, I do think their role will evolve. Uh, over time, 
Um, today, uh, underwriters have less at Pi. Uh, they certainly have final say on pricing because um, they have to from a regulatory standpoint. But the pricing is is less their domain than it used to be, right? Underwriters used to be the final, they would you know, move pricing up and down in commercial risk, um, you know, based on their expertise. But what we found is, is that expertise is on pricing is flawed, right? Underwriters have bad days, right? They, they, they got burned on a risk in, you know, 15 years ago. And so they, they never write commercial plumbers. Well, that's kind of ridiculous, right? Of course, they're a good commercial plumbers. Um, and so underwriters at Pi uh, spend a lot of time on the market. They spend a lot of time with, with agents. Uh, and they spend a lot of time with the insureds, understanding the business. Oh, the algorithm didn't know that uh, you discontinued that operation that caused, you know, the 10 claims you had over the past two years. It doesn't know that, right? An underwriter can find that out. It doesn't know that um, the market needs it to be at, you know, 4,500 versus 5,200, right? But, but the algorithm can say, well, here's the range it should be in and, and the underwriter can suss that out. So I think there's a lot more, um, creativity, a lot more relationships um, that underwriters in small commercial, I think middle market and higher, absolutely. I don't think that's going to change much, but in small commercial, they're going to be much more cerebral and relationship oriented than, than they have been in the past. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. Um, it fills me with hope because I always think that about my role. I, I, I've been doing this for 17 years. And I think the last 10 people have been told me I'm going to be replaced by various bits of kit. Um, yeah. And I Those just always Prognostications think, never come true. Yeah, no. I mean, it's, it's always the same story in that it will be how you use these new tools better. Right. And it, it applies to every industry, underwriting, recruitment. It's like, right, you have to embrace those changes, move with those times. You know, I remember starting and like I didn't have any tech. Now my tech spend for a recruitment business is right. unbelievable to me. Um, right. but it's, I mean, I remember monster.com. Everybody's like, oh, recruiters are dead. Really? I, no. I, I, can, I can literally tell you a story where I worked for, I used to work for Hayes, which is obviously the large, the mm -hmm. world's largest specialist recruiter. We had a very large insurance client and they phoned us up and they were our biggest account. I think we did, you know, we did over a million and a half dollars a year from this one account as a business. Um, we we're a relatively small business, 130 people. So it was a lot of our, our, our revenue. Uh -huh. They phoned us up and just said, oh, we've bought 20 monster licenses. We won't need you anymore. Cancelled all agreements. <laughs> right. And How long I think did that last? I think, I think about six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and they phoned back and said, we're getting 300 applicants for every role. We, like, we haven't got the staff to go through it. We can't pre-interview and screen everyone. Right. And it's the same with this. It's like exactly that. It's like, you went algo only and you didn't have that touch point in the underwriting process. You'd underwrite bad risks. You'd overprice people because you wouldn't take into account the evolution of their kind of risk profile. There's just things that would, would not happen, but it's about embracing change, you know, and using the technology that's right and using it in the right way. Um, 
Um, I'm conscious of time, actually. So I, I and I know we, we touched on the kind of thing with Ford, which I'm really excited about. But I always like to ask, you know, what's next for Pi? And, you know, you've been on this great journey. So, yeah, what's what's the rest of the, the year got in store and, and what can we look out for from from Pi Insurance? Well, um, I don't have any big announcements today, but uh, <laughs> no, I didn't think you'd drop <laughs> on here as much we, as I like my podcast. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we we've had a lot of big announcements recently, so we're 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 pausing our big announcements for just a moment. Um, we are really focused on um, a couple of things. We just got our AMBEST A minus rating, uh, and we are working very diligently. Uh, to become the full stack insurance company that we always wanted to become. That was always our plan. Uh, and so we are a, um, we, we have a, a reinsurance partner uh, in Serious Point that has been you know, a phenomenal partner for us, um, helped us found the business. Um, we'll be you know, converting off of Serious Point as our uh, fronting company, um, in 2023. So that is big for us. Uh, we, we purchased a couple of uh, shell companies that we're going to be putting business in. And, and those things matter because it helps us serve more small businesses. Today, we only have one operating company. And so our pricing bandwidth is, is, is relatively small, especially in states like New York. Uh, where we can only move pricing, you know, five percent up or down, um, and so we want to have a a multi-company strategy so we can we can insure more and more businesses uh, with the right pricing. So we're working really hard on getting that done uh, over twenty twenty three, um, and standing up our commercial auto with uh, with Ford. Uh, yeah. We're super excited about about that relationship. Um, and building that uh, in 2023, we'll have some very big, fun, cool announcements probably uh, later in the year there. Um, those are the two big things we're working on, uh, other than just trying to grow and, and grow at a really healthy loss ratio. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty solid set of announcements. Start a new line of business with Ford and um, start, you know, full stack. So that's, that, that'll keep you busy for the rest of the year, I imagine. So. Well. We're going to take a breath from anything huge, right? We're just going to execute this year. Yeah, awesome. Zach, absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed this. So um, can't thank you enough. I know you're a busy guy. So thank you so much for being a guest on the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. Yeah, Alex, really appreciate the opportunity. It's great to uh, get to talk to you and uh, hopefully your audience finds this interesting. Thanks, man. All the best. Cheers. Cheers.